I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And I know it's gonna be a lovely day. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the Rogue Report podcast where we will be talking to the new Sunderland AFC chairman and major shareholder Stuart Donald. It's been a hectic weekend at Rogue Report headquarters uh, with the news breaking that the EFL had ratified the takeover coming exclusively through our platform online. And now we are here. So uh, we are joined firstly by Johnny Goldsmith. Are you all right? Yeah, all right. Good stuff. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. That's good. <laughs> and also a huge welcome to obviously Stuart. How are you? Very good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Are you tired? No. No. Um, I should be tired, <laughs> but um, I think I've had about two hours sleep, but uh, I'm wired up and ready to go. Is this like Christmas Day? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. So, just before we get properly going, is there anything you want to say to introduce yourself to the Sunderland fans? Uh, well, I expect they they probably have uh, are sick to death of me already, as, as seem to be everywhere at the moment, so... Um, no, I, I just I just want to answer all their questions. It's going to be a busy little period where they're bound to be lots of questions the Sunderland fans want answered. And as the you know as as the next few weeks develop, we'll we'll do this once or twice so that uh, you know people can actually ask me why I'm doing what I'm doing as it as it develops. Cool. Okay. So the first question, which has been on everyone's lips for years, to be honest, is what are you going to do about the pink seats? <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, there's no doubt they they need changing. Um, it's I, I went I went on the pitch today. There's some charity games on there, and and I think at the end of the season, obviously the, the fans go on there, and uh, you know. So I went out on the pitch again today, and, and you look at it, and you can just see how patchy it is, can't you? Um, you know, in certain areas it's um, it's done, and in other areas it's not, and it doesn't look good. So um, there's probably more priorities than the seats, um, but there's no doubt. Um, they they need changing. Cool. Okay. So moving on. Um M Don eight seven four, he's got two questions. How and why was the deal changed from you being a, a make to being the main man? Um I was approached originally. Char- Charlie um knew Ellis, um, who's the other shareholder in the in the deal. Um and he knew um Ellis. So uh he mentioned to me and a couple of other people, um whether or not we'd like to get involved in Sunderland and as I said at the time I'm always going to be interested as a football fan in Sunderland Football Club because of uh, it's Sunderland Football Club Um, but I was only asked to be a minority shareholder Um, and then as the progress went through and the finances became more clear um, it was obvious it would need more money and um, I put that money forward so the 
the structure of the deal then changed to the extent that it, it basically became me. We are also now joined by Charlie Methven, who is also part of the the takeover. Uh, hello, are you all right? Yeah, just about. Did barely, you can barely see you did there. But <laughs> move around. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah, I'm doing well, thanks. Yeah, I'm sorry if I'm driving off before, but Stuart made us do it. Oh, I can well believe it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like, drive away, away. go away. <laughs> thanks very much. We don't need him. Found out again. Yeah, I've thrown you under the bus there. I'm sorry. No problem. Um, so we were, we were having a little discussion about the pink seats uh, just before we, we let you in What does Stuart say? He said that he's going to replace them. That's not quite. <laughs> <laughs> he said he's going to spend the full transfer budget on the seats. <laughs> um, okay, so we're going to talk a little bit now about Chris Coleman. Uh, there was a question came through about why were they released before the, the takeover happened because it was pretty much yep. 10 minutes before the announcer takeover, the announcer Chris Coleman was leaving. So were you part of that decision process? No, um, and, and it's obviously a question that's been fielded, you know, quite a lot by the the, the media today. But um, I think Chris was probably the highest profile decision that, that Ellis made. But in in the in the process of this, he had lots of things that he wanted to do. He was very keen on leaving the club um, in a in a clean situation, um, and that decision was a hundred percent him. The only impact that we've had was to to ask um, Ellis to make sure that. From the moment we exchanged on the deal to the moment we completed, that they wouldn't um, deal with any transfers in or, or out, um, which obviously is difficult for for the club. But we sort of said, you know, we we, we don't want to be saddled with with players when we haven't got a manager, or we don't want to do new contracts, etc. So um, the only impact we've had on the on the playing side, um, of which Chris obviously is part, is in asking the club not to actually do anything from the moment we exchanged but Ellis was very clear about what he wanted to do and how he wanted to leave it and I think his view was um, you know the club is in the position that it's in um, he had a contractual agreement as I understand it with Chris and he exercised that that, that option Do you think you'll speak to Chris? Possibly, again we, we talked about this earlier, um, there's two or three managers obviously in, in the process we've seen who's applied for the job um, and we have our own ideas as well as to who we think might be a good manager. So we, we've we've merged those two together, if you like, so we know who's applied um, and who, who we think we'd like to talk to. Um, and there are two or three people that I think we would feel might, might be ahead of Chris, but um, if for any reason those didn't materialise, I think he would, be, he would be a serious contender. But we haven't spoken to Chris because we can't. Um, and I don't know if he's had any dialogue with the club since... Um, Ellis took the decision um, but I don't see any reason why we can't pick the phone up to Chris if we want to and say well whatever your agreement was there if you're not in a job um, then let's have a conversation but in, in honesty I think we might have one or two candidates ahead of him at this stage So obviously I know you're not going to share names with her but what kind of manager are you looking for? Are you looking for an experienced head, somebody who knows the division, or are you going to try and bring in somebody with fresh ideas who you know might be a bit more raw? Um, we're after. I think one of the biggest things we've identified is that the culture within the the team, um, and and to be fair, potentially within the club, is one where we need very high standards. We need to set the standards, and we need the manager to set those standards and demand that the football squad that we have um, is committed, is focused, is um, absolutely 100% professional. So we need a manager with those standards. And I think, um, you know, culturally, there's potentially a- an issue. Um, and therefore, we need a manager that is absolutely um, going to set the highest standard for the football club. And I think that's that's key. Um uh, you know, we, we want a manager that's been successful. We want a manager that actually wants to come here because they're excited by what we're trying to do and what we would say is the project of Sunderland, and we want them to buy into that. Not not someone that's coming here, um, you know, just because it's Sunderland and they probably perceive will pay bigger wages and it'll be a way for them to sort of earn a lot of money. And if they're not successful, they, you know, they get a big payday. This has got to be somebody that's here that is going to be here. Um, and help us transform the football club over the longer term. In, in in regards to the, just to move a little bit towards what the takeover, 
Can you explain a little bit about the finances of the takeover? Because I think there's a bit of um, people aren't sure about the parachute payments, about transfer <coughs> fees that are going to be incoming in the summer. You know, like I said, Barini will be coming. Yeah. It's likely that Kazri would probably leave them sort of players. Can you explain your? Is that money going to go back into the club? Are the parachute payments and the transfer fees Sunderland Football Clubs, or is some of it going to go well or short? Um, good question, and that's a pretty panoramic way of putting it, which I think is the right way to look at it. Um, there are payments that are due to come into the football club. There are payments that are due to go out of the football club, and both of those two se- segments of revenue, effectively, we have no control over. These are pre-contracted payments in and payments out. You've then got stuff um, that money is going to need to be spent on, which is still variable. And you can probably get what I'm alluding to there. Um, The restructuring of the business and the restructuring of the squad and other issues that you may have already brought up. Um, As things stand right now, there is a substantial amount of money that needs to be spent. You might call it invested over this summer to try and get us to the blank sheet of paper, which we need to be at to rebuild this this house on, on solid foundations. Because as I said earlier on when I was speaking to some of the journalists, at the moment you're in a situation where the foundations aren't right, so it doesn't matter how much money you pour into it, the result is not going to be right. Um, So uh, in terms of the mix, just addressing what I think is the underlying question, I mean, in terms of the Premier League payments, first of all, let's cover that off. Um, The Premier League payments uh, are um, somewhat aligned with the transfer uh, the gap in the transfer I mean that, that they're similar sort of figures that type of stuff you might get some transfers in um, obviously we'll be working hard to make sure those are as, as good as, as could possibly be the case if players are going to leave we want to get the right price and again I'm not sure that the club has always managed to achieve that in the, in the recent past um, and in terms of the restructuring of the business and the squad you know again some money may, may need to be invested but we want to be very sure and very careful how that money gets spent um uh, people have been saying earlier on about Ellis Short taking the parachute payments going forward. That that's not the case. I mean, what's happening is is that Ellis Short is enabling us and allowing us to pay for the club over a period of time to try and ensure that we've got enough cash flow in the meantime. Working capital um, is the phrase to actually put right some of these things that needs to be put right. If one had to pay him the full forty million up front and then had to cover everything that you need to pay for in the short term, that that would be difficult for almost anyone to do. That's an awful lot of cash. So um, he has uh, accepted that he will need to be paid out gradually. Now, what then happens is is that when somebody is owed money effectively in that situation by us, by they then need to take some security over the eventuality that we then turn around and say one day, well, we're not going to pay you. And the thing which is most easy to put that security against for the parody Premier League parachute payments so it's security for Ellis to make sure that he does get paid out his £40 million but it's not like he's going to be turning up here on the day the Premier League parachute payment arrives with a big sack over his back and waiting to take it back to Florida that's not the way it's going to be Okay, good. I'm glad, I'm glad to get a little bit of clarification because I think there's been a bit of debate amongst fans about his intentions Misinformation. Fact, yeah it's because I think we th- saw the deal happen he's wiping off the debt and we're like it seems crazy that he's going to wipe off such a huge amount of money and I think it's it's hard when we've got such a negative perception to sort of see what his no, to, angle to, is yeah, on no, that to be fair to him he's he's written off the debt um, and you know in, in that process um, hopefully the Sunderland fans will be pleased that he's chosen our consortium because I believe we're the only consortium as, as, as Ellis I'm sure would, would say where when Ellis said he will let the club go debt free he, he what what that means is he doesn't want anything for the debt, but he was assuming that the new purchasers would port that debt across to themselves. So whilst Ellis never wanted anything for it, and I think it's about £125 million, he's written that off, but on the assumption that we would then take that debt over. So Sunderland Football Club would owe the new purchaser that money. Mm. And we refused that um, because what that basically means is, although he sold it for a pound, um, it would then owe me uh, and Charlie uh, £125 million. Um, which is no way to start our relationship with um, with the Sunderland fans. Yeah. So we we said to Ellis, no, um, y- you know, um, that's wiped off completely. Um, don't transfer it to us. So hopefully the Sunderland fans will see from that that um, you know we, we haven't tried to make uh, an advantage there of Ellis's um, good nature. And he was and he was very very keen mm. to ensure that the football club. 
from his perspective um, went to the people that he thought w would do the best. That's now our responsibility to prove that was the, the right decision. But um, uh, whilst I think he would admit he he spent a lot of money on Sunderland, he hasn't made the right decisions, he would say, um, and, and he would say he's got a lot wrong. And he said the last thing that he can now do is ensure that it's debt-free safe and goes to the best people that it can. And that's what he believes that he's done. And that's our responsibility now to show that actually Ellis has done the right thing. But I think from my dealings with Ellis, um, you couldn't have asked for a better sale um, from the perspective of your owner because he has, um, if nothing else, ensured that today versus yesterday, the football club has got no debt. And I suppose moving, moving on to budgets, uh, you did say in your press conference today that we were going to have a, a big budget. Yeah. Um, <laughs> will we have the biggest League One budget in your mind? By a mile. By a mile. By a mile, yeah. Um, and But that doesn't mean we want to spend it all. We have the capability. We need to pay for them pink seats, don't we? Well, that's, well, that's true, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah we, we could... We could uh, yeah. um, it's, it's, I would imagine it's the biggest budget ever seen in League One. I'm not sure. Charlie would know a little bit more than me. But, but it's, it's substantially higher than the teams that went up this year. The only issue will be, of course... Um, on that how much of it um, goes on new players versus uh, the players that are staying but then the players that are staying will need to give us value for money um, but it's it's going to be a big and it's a budget that a lot of teams in the championship would, would take so I don't think um, you know the Sunderland fans have got to worry about how much money is going to be spent on their team if we need some transfers there's there's, there's money worked into that but again we're League One so we're not going to go and buy players for £25 million to come and play in League One. Um, but um, I would think it would be as big as, you know, five or six teams potentially. But an important message to send out is that um, whilst there's a capability there to, play, to, to pay the right players to come here, this isn't going to be a free ride anymore. And if agents come knocking thinking that they can add an extra 10 20% on what they're asking for because it's Sunderland, then those agents will be sent packing and they'll have done a really crappy job by their players because they'd have lost them the chance of playing for the best club ever to play at this level um, and we're going to have to be very hard and very clear about acting in the interests of this football club on a continual basis the reputation of Sunderland in the game is that this is a place where people have come to take the piss I'm sorry to say that is the truth and that's been the case for quite some time people have come here not because they passionately want to be here because they've heard it's one of the places where you can get paid really well not very high expectations pretty easy going culture etc that has to change because you cannot succeed when there are people here who are thinking in that way um, so budget is like a capability rather like the fan base is a capability the academy is a capability but unless it's applied in the right way it doesn't mean anything you know, it could be wasted by the wrong people, and if it's put in the wrong hands, it could be wasted, as Ellis has found. Um, so we feel that responsibility very carefully because Stuart talks about the budget, and a lot of fans think of that in terms of, oh, well, it's Stuart's giving the budget, well, it's him allocating the budget, but the vast majority of that money, of course, is the fans' money. Yeah. Um, that's the reality of the situation. And if I were to sort of enter a, a plea to Sunderland fans, it's to recognise that the, the drip that they've been in the intravenous drip, drip of morphine they've been in for the last however long it is expecting owners to spend cash and that that will somehow make things better is to recognise that is partially what's brought the club to where it is because um, there's not enough responsibility not enough accountability and not enough deter determination to make every single penny count and under us that is going to change Have you thought about models of t sort of teams that have been in this position I know Southampton's been in before they've got it right you know they're in the Premier League now have got a very good academy you also got Norwich came down went straight back up Wolves have done it before are you looking at them sort of teams and in, in sort of trying to learn from them or are you going to you know, sort of set your own path and ignore the history of that well I think the team that we we talked about earlier that we'd like to be like is um, Borussia Dortmund um, and Charlie articulated that very well, I think, to to, to the media, um, because they were asking us if we were, you know, we were going to compete with the the Tottenham's and the Chelsea's and the and the Man United's. Well, first of all, um, unfortunately, in the moment, 
that's not our competition <laughs> um, so we've got to get to that level but if you look at a club like Borussia Dortmund they don't try and compete with Bayern Munich um, financially yeah. in terms of splashing cash on players but they do compete with them on the pitch mm-hmm. um, certainly on, on one in every two or three seasons they compete very hard but they've got a very clear idea of who they are I think Southampton Stuart would know a fair amount about because um, it's a neighbouring club to, to, to Eastleigh but looking from the outside um, what they got right was the the academy and the development path through the academy through to the first team um, being honest with you as a club it doesn't have the same potential as Sunderland um, so the ability to get 45 50,000 in the, in the ground you know when it if Sunderland was in the position that Southampton's been at for the last three or three years, getting to cup finals, being in the last, it being in the top ten of the Premier League on an almost constant basis until this season, the Stadium of Light would have fifty thousand people inside of it, and you'd be thinking about building an, uh, building another tier. So, what Southampton's done has been really phenomenal for the size of club that they are. They've they've gone right to the very edge of their potential, and Burnley have gone even maybe beyond the edge <laughs> of their potential. The issue with Sunderland is not the potential. The issue is Sunderland's understanding what it is and regaining its soul and regaining its connection with what its history is, what its fan base is, what is particular to Sunderland. Because in reality, when you think about it, and it doesn't take long to work this out, if you're a foreign player who wants to come and live in England, probably you're not thinking, the place I want to go and live is Sunderland. (laughs) So the reason why you're going to end up there is because your agent says, I can get you a really good deal there. And you want to go, well, where's Sunderland? Does it, you know, is it nice and sunny? No, it's the coldest, wettest place in England. Okay, the deal had better be pretty good, right? Now, turn that on its head and think in terms of people, players and managers who do understand the history of Sunderland and who actually care more about playing football in front of a passionate fan base in a great stadium, in a club with a great history. They're the people you want. And those people won't necessarily cost you the same as the people who effectively you have to bribe to come here. And when you look at some of the payments that Sunderland's made in the last 10 years to people who never really wanted to be here, as a fan myself, it's sickening. It is absolutely sickening. If that would be, if I was a fan just of the club that, uh, that Stu and I grew up with and I saw that happening at the club that he and I grew up with, you feel really, really crappy about that. I know these people don't really want to be here. They're coming here for my money. Yeah, horrible. So we've really got to change that around because that has been the way for too long. We've got another Twitter question here from Ryan373. He asks, what are your top priorities once you've settled into Sunderland as the transfer window is now open? Uh, well, the first thing is to get the manager. Um, <coughs> you know, we, we Off the field, operationally, we've got to get that right. Um, so, so off the field, that's one thing. On the field, we've got to get the manager. Um, we've got to um, make an assessment of the current playing squad and their desire to stay and be part of things versus their desire to leave um, if you listen to their agents who are not the players um, we won't have many players left um, which again as, as we sort of touched on I mean I would take that one stage further and say if that is the case that's shocking because you know the players um, as much of anybody are obviously responsible for the league that we're playing in and you know that affects everyone connected with the club it affects the fan base the staff everyone else so for them potentially now to say well I don't want to play League One football um, well uh, and they, if they've got a contract that's not their decision is it so um, you know we need a manager we need to assess the players that we've got their heart their passion their desire to be at the club whether what they say publicly is, is what they feel um, whether what their agents are saying is right and we need to do that quickly very quickly um, and at the same time um, we need to recruit um, and we need to get the right type of player to get us out of this league um, and we've got to get the right manager who will then get the right player um, it's a heck of a job right I mean you're probably looking even if as Stuart says some of the players whose agents say they want to leave even if some of them do stay you're probably still looking at 14-15 new players um, excuse me so that's a big turnaround by the standards of any club um, and it's not like it's one of those turnarounds that's been in the planning for the last two or three months like it would have been under a stable regime with a manager who's sticking around for the next season as is sometimes the case we're in a situation where it's new owners a new manager who doesn't even know he's the manager yet is going to come in and in the space of six or seven weeks is going to need to recruit very accurately because even if he's got a good budget by League One standards if you're bringing in 14, 15 new players, you can't afford for too many of those to be lemons. 
um, and that's going to be a real challenge. You can't. There's no way around that. When we got all we got all front up to where we are, I think that's the important thing. Fans, board, everyone involved with the club has to front up to the reality of where we are. And if we all front up together and face in the same direction, and understand what the challenge actually is, um, then we got a real chance. There was something I pushed back quite hard on the press conference when someone kept on badgering Stuart on. Well, when are we going to be in the Premier League? It's like, well, if that's the attitude, you're not going to win League One. You'll be in League One for a long, long time if you're already thinking about when you're going to be in the Premier League. You can't compete to be in the Premier League unless you've got promoted from League One's Championship. Sounds obvious, but that's a very basic mindset. And if there's one thing, if there was a criticism I would level at the club, having spent the last four or five weeks around it, is I don't think as a club it's yet accustomed itself to not being in the Premier League, let alone not being in the Championship. And it will not win in League One until the club as a whole, everyone around it, accepts and enjoys the fact that this is a competition this is a sporting competition that has to be won so I think in the early days we might have to do a bit of bucket of cold water overheads um, League One's not a bad league it's quite a fun league um, there are some hard tough teams in it I mean if you look at what happened to Man City this season when they played Wigan and thought oh well you know take it easy they got steamrolled and they got beaten deservedly frankly so this isn't an easy league this is a league of tough hard professionals and uh, we need to front up to that, t- that challenge as a club Peter Stamp asks what is the aim next year not pie in the sky but realistic assessed and achievable and would you consider not achieving that as a failure yeah I think if you set yourself a target and you don't achieve it you failed yeah Um, uh, by definition Um, I I would have thought um, the very minimum I would hope that we would get to is a playoffs Um, nothing's going to be easier there'll be loads of teams going for at the minimum of the playoffs I'm sure I'm sure there'll be 12 teams trying to do that we should be right at the top of the league but uh, as Charlie's just alluded to we've got a lot of work to do we have the capability of um, doing very well um, uh, and, I, and I don't think we expect just to go in there and make up the numbers no. having had two relegations we, we've got to um, we've got to have an expectation level that we are going to be near or at the top of the league and we want the excitement and enjoyment of that um, and that's what we'll be aiming for I want to talk a little bit about the academy at Sunderland um, we, we had Nick Barnes here who's the BBC commentator I don't know if you've met him yet yep. yes but he said that, that the club fought hard to maintain the category one status this past year y- yes. I was interested to know how important that is to you uh, very important um, and, and he's right when, when we came in we had a look at the the grading of the academy and and, and uh, I, I don't think that on the first visit um, that they needed an additional visit to to retain their status yeah it was a skin of the teeth um, job was it yeah, yeah. and um, uh, you know w- we need to get into the nitty gritty of that and understand why it's the skin of the teeth job because um, uh, you, you don't naturally want to give up um, a category one academy so we will be fighting hard to ensure that um, we don't need two visits to keep it so it, 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 it it's a cost to the club Um but it can be a huge, huge benefit to the club. So um, uh, we we want to maintain that that Category 1 rating. I think it goes back into understanding what Sunderland is and can be. Um, I just said earlier on about one of the you know, potential natural disadvantages of not being a London club or not being close to Heathrow, whatever it might be, in terms of attracting foreigners, etc. becomes less relevant in League 1 as a disadvantage to that. One of the big advantages that Sunderland does have is what by any stretch of imagination is a very large working class catchment area which drives a lot of potential recruits for an academy another natural advantage not a natural advantage but an inbuilt advantage that Sunderland has is the actual infrastructure to be able to claim to be one of the top academies they've actually got the basic infrastructure which is extremely expensive to build Bob Murray did a phenomenal job all those years ago putting that infrastructure in place so again if you look at what Sunderland can be and what it can't be Sunderland should be aiming to be one of the top five academies in the country because that's the size of the fan base and that's the size of the infrastructure and so we, we're very ambitious for the academy we don't look at it and say oh it's a bit of a millstone round the neck or it's um, a cost we have to bear or let's hope it does okay absolutely not if you take on the one hand the fact that it's going to be quite difficult always to attract top foreign players to want to come to the North East and Newcastle have found the same absolutely um, on that grounds well we have to play to our advantages which is that unlike in London there's a higher proportion of young people who want to play football and if you get them into the right coaching setup and the right infrastructure you've got a higher percentage chance it is a numbers game 
academies. It's a num- num- really it's about numbers. Um, you've got a high percentage chance of, of producing good players. I will say that despite the struggles they've had to keep their Cat 1 status, they're still producing an awful lot of good young players. Um, and, you know, the under-13s and the under-14s the last season have won big international competitions. Um, the under-23s last year got to the, f- the final of the European under-23s Cup. Well, this is not the sign of a sick institution. And it was quite interesting walking around the club, you know, in the, in the weeks before we got here, that we felt that stuff on the academy side still felt felt quite brisk, still felt quite energetic, like people were doing stuff. Um, and hadn't perhaps been infected with quite the same level of sadness and failure that other parts of the club have been. If we're going to talk still a little bit about the academy, obviously you two aren't, I suppose, quote-unquote football men. You know, you didn't play, you haven't you know, been sort of in coach. I know you've obviously been yeah. involved in it. Will you be looking at getting somebody in the club like people always want Kevin Ball? You know, he's somebody yeah. who's around the club, but he's not really got anything more than an, ambas- than an ambassadorial role. Yeah. Are you going to be looking at bringing in football people, maybe people who know the club you know, better than maybe what you do? Uh, I think, w- without doubt, we'll look at bringing in some football people. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Um, there's no shortage of people that um, are willing to offer us advice and, uh, you, know, it, it, you know, ex-footballers, etc., or, or current coaches or managers. Um, you know, there's an awful lot of people saying, you know, bring me to Sunderland and we'll advise you and we'll do this. Again, just like the manager. It's going to be important we pick the right people to come along. But I don't think for one second um, Charlie and I envisage um, <laughs> not, not 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 having football people around us to um, uh, help us with the structure and the organisation um, and the, and the results that the team are going to produce. I, I mean, I don't knock everything that the that the current management has done. The, you know, I think it's, the current management had a difficult situation when they came in. I, I don't understand the Kevin Ball situation. Um, there's a man in the prime of his career who's achieved phenomenal things, the England captain, the England goalkeeper coming through his youth team, etc., wandering around doing club dinners at the age of 51, 52. That's just not right. I mean, that guy is absolutely in the prime of his coaching career. And I know he had some, some problem with his knees for a bit, but I think we'll be sitting down with Kevin and, and discussing a, a more um, a more proactive role for him going forward because we've had meetings with him already and we like what we see. Do you think, especially last time we had some success was Niall Quinn was here, do you think you need somebody like him with you as well I mean I think Kevin Ball is going to be a more logical you know to be looking after the kids you know in yeah. a coaching role do you think you'll be looking for maybe not necessarily a figurehead but somebody who is a former player or former manager here to work alongside you maybe um, I think the the reality for us is it's been a quick deal we've got we've got a handle on an awful lot of things but we need to get in now over the next couple of weeks um, and really get into the detail of what we've had a look over the top of um, and once we get into the detail we'll probably be in a much better decision to decide the exact structure that we need and, and what we think the football club needs um, and at this stage I don't think we'd rule anything in or out mm. um, it's it's just a question of we, we bought the club on the basis of what we think we can do and how hard we're willing to work to achieve it and where we think we can get the club and in that process we are going to have to be um, flexible um, and responsive to things that come up, and uh, you, you know that, that either we may not have thought of or, or things that we need to change. And part of that may involve um, bringing in some people who've got a, a, a bit of an understanding of the football club. Um, in the same way, we'll, we we know that we'll need people who've got an understanding of football. Um, so uh, I don't think we'd say yes or no to that yet. Okay, we had to take a brief stop there to welcome Netflix in. Uh, yeah, yeah recording where. So that means we're as important as Meghan Markle and well, all them absolutely and everything else. No doubt yeah. about that. <laughs> so we'll get back into it. Um, I've got a few questions that uh, I suppose I've got a rough idea of what you'll say. But Jack <laughs> Rodwell, you know, a lot being said about him on a lot of money. Um, yeah, sort of didn't want to play for the club. Fans have sort yep. of grown sick of him. Have you got anything you can share on that? Well, I think you'll probably ask me about him. Uh, you'll ask me about Martin Bain when you, you you'll yep. ask those questions. You, you you know, I know what the fans are going to say. And I think at this stage, I think the fans have just got to understand where we are. And we've just come in, and we, if we make any decisions on the players or the staff, um, 
they need to be the first to know. We've got to do it in the right order. It's not fair, I don't think, at this stage to discuss individual players mm. or individual staff members before having the courtesy of talking to them. Mm. Um, you know, by all means, as soon as we've done that, if we do that with whoever it is, then we'll come on and explain why we've done what we've done and, and, and everything else. But I think at this stage, you know, day one, I could see what the fans think. Um, I'm not daft. I can see what um, they think about lots of things. And I've taken those comments on board and I'll investigate all those aspects of the football club. Um, but I need to do that with the individuals first. So will you be having a meeting with the squad anytime soon? I, obviously, they'll all be on holiday right now, so it might be difficult, but you're going to try and... Not literally impossible. I mean, they're not going to be back from... They're not reporting back into training until mid-June. Some of them will be back from holidays before then, etc. But it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a testing period. Um, speaking to people when the, not everyone's in the building, so, but but we will do. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to chat because no, we will. Um, you know, every single one of the players has got an agent. I think the important thing there is is what the agent's saying, right? As I as I alluded to earlier, so we we want to talk to the players. There are players. Um, we're not we're not asking to talk to players that we're signing here, who can put their agent in front of us. These are our footballers. They're your footballers. They're 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 our footballers, and. Sunderland Football Club is asking them questions and whether they're on the beach or whether they're um, well I don't, don't care what they're doing um, <laughs> they have a responsibility to have a discussion about their future and I think every player we want to discuss their future with so we can get an understanding of you know if what we're hearing and what the football club has reported to us over the previous weeks is accurate so Jack Robwell will have a conversation as will every other player um, and um, that won't wait for pre-season it can't wait for pre-season it has to be done now so we'll bust a gut to get hold of them and um, uh, we'll have those conversations very quickly I want to talk a little bit about players like Joel Osoro George Honeyman Paddy McNair I would say they're the players that we as fans look at the building blocks of the team if I'm being brutally honest you know yeah. uh, Joel Osoro for me is the best player to come out of the academy for probably since Pickford yeah. how much are you going to try and keep them on board uh, well um you, you can see that um, you want to build a team around the youngsters we want to keep the youngsters the issue is will the youngsters stay with Sunderland um, will their agents try and turn their heads um, That that's the issue mm. um, are we interested in selling Paddy Benet? Not not at all uh, is there interest in these players absolutely um, do we want to let them go absolutely not um, you know your Honeymans and your McNairs etc um, you know they could be the building blocks for the teams over the years to come um, but we want them to be here um, now um, again we need to talk to the players because if you can read between the lines they've all got agents but of course if the agents can get them a move it's a payday for the agent isn't it it's a payday for this it's a payday for that um, so we need to check whether or not what the agents are telling us is true um, on all these youngsters um, so uh, do we want to sell them no are they too expensive for the football club no um, do they want to be here well um, we'll find out Tom Beadlin left the club today he signed for Dunfermline I don't know if you knew that yes I do know that ha have you found that frustrating because we've been watching his progress and we know that he's a very good footballer. extremely frustrating because we didn't follow the right protocol so he was allowed to leave us so that's and it shouldn't have been so that's from the previous vision again you know when you talk about Chris Coleman or you talk about any other situation within the first team regardless of what people think we cannot affect the first team till today what we can say is that the procedures around the football club have allowed that player to leave for nothing and is that are you angry about that is that like really frustrating uh, for you it's frustrating um, but you can't undo things that were out of your control you can only make sure they're right for the future. Mm. Well, you have one of the issues, we've came across it at Rope Report ourselves, um, we've been contacted by sources within the club to say that the academy players aren't necessarily happy, been blocked for loan moves in the past, and when you look at the successes we've had with Pickford, he had you know, six or seven loan spells out. Will you be looking at loaning our young players out over you know, prioritising the competition? I mean... Stuart and I as fans can have chats about these kinds of things but those are football decisions yeah. um, and we might have a view it might be an educated view um, but it's not ultimately us who will be making the micro 
football decisions about a kid's future. I mean, we were talking about Kevin Ball earlier on, and, and you mentioned that um, he brought through some of the best players to, to come through in England in the last 15, 20 years. He's the kind of person who should be making yeah. those decisions, not not me. And I don't know, Stuart. I mean, you know. no. My, my gut, my gut instinct would say that if you've got a lot of youngsters, though, then you would hope they're either good enough to be around our first team and gain experience there, or you send them out to teams so they gain experience elsewhere, so that they can develop into men's football, competitive games, get used to playing in front of crowds. Um, potentially make their mistakes at other football clubs and, and learn to be footballers. So common sense would say to me that these players, as, as many of them that can, should go out on loan for experience if they're not around our first team squad. That would be my natural view. Again, you know, I, w- I wouldn't force that issue, but um, I would ask whoever ran the academy if they chose not to do that, or the first team manager if it was him or whatever it is, why that's not happening. And um, they'd have to give me a pretty logical reason as to why we don't do that because to me young footballers um, should be gaining experience at football clubs so I, I, w- yeah, I wouldn't understand why, why we wouldn't be doing well, that a structural problem of course which is relevant to Premier League clubs is, is the under 23 structure because when you've got an under 23 team to, 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 to play games you have to have players who are still at the club playing those in those games and if you go and loan out a bunch of your 19 and 20 worlds you don't have an under 23 team but ultimately whether the under-23 team wins or not is of relatively limited importance compared to the personal development of these players. So like Stuart, I mean, where we've come from and and, and other clubs, um, there has been an active loaning system. I will say that having dropped down into League One, of course, you would expect a higher proportion of the youngsters to view this as a level where they can make their mark. Um, And probably when a player has got to the age of 20, if he's not yet capable of playing in League One, there will start to be little question marks put against what what his future is going to be in the game. That's just that's just logical because you're not, you know you're, you're getting towards what might be called the lower leagues. Um, but yes, obviously, loan moves happen and they can be very beneficial. And you've outlined already the way and that's happened to stars who come out here in the past. I believe that actually, to be fair, there were some players on loan last last season. Yeah, it it seemed to happen from the about January, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah. But at the start of the year, there was a. There's players that we thought should have got experience. Madger, for example, right. needed yeah. a little bit of time and he got brought into the yeah. team. He did score on his debut, but struggled. Needed yeah. to go down. Probably will flourish next year because yeah. we'll be playing at that, you know, probably the level he should be playing at. Yeah. But I suppose it can't just be frustrating when you see, you know, other yeah. teams loaning their young players out and we weren't. But I'm glad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it, it does seem illogical. And as you say, without, without an understanding of why that's happening. Um, and and I, I would struggle to see how you could justify not sending out your youngsters to gain uh, experience in men's football. I want to ask you a question as well about directors of football. Is that a system that you work with or do you go with something else or are you not decided? No, we, we, obviously, obviously I, th- I think that might have been raised, you know, having a director of football at Eastleigh, although it was it, it, it was a little bit different to that. Um, uh, and, I, and I think at this stage we're not in the need of a director of, of football we're in need of some football experience around mm-hmm. the club um, and Charlie and I will, will need those I, I would see them more as football advisors or consultants or whatever but I think when you're talking about first team affairs uh, at this level with where the football club is you want a very strong um, first team manager with very high standards and that is how I envisage at the moment Sunderland Football Club working um, and we may well get some people in to advise us in the overall football market but um, I think uh, we don't need a director of football would be my judgement call There's lots of questions came in from fans asking about sort of logistical things with the stadium um, yeah. so the top tier has been closed which affected me personally because I had a seat up there and I've right. had to move down I had a Sorry very about nice that seat. I know <laughs> but people I want to know you know what when do you envisage opening the top tier up? Do you think that could happen next year? Obviously, we've been disillusioned this year and still 28,000 people yeah. have been going. Well, well we, we've, we've got to get the fans fully engaged in the football club. Hmm. Um, and the reality of it is, and, and Sunderland's not individual to this, modern football has made fans feel disengaged hmm. to their club. Hmm. And I don't think that's ever more true than at Sunderland. Hmm. But um, all I can say about that is that we care um, about their enjoyment, about the experience. We understand it's not just the Saturday afternoon. They want to feel part of their club. They want to know what's going on in their club. Um, and that's perfectly the right way to, to expect to be. 
all we can do as owners is engage and give the fans the opportunity to do that and I think one of two things will happen hopefully either fans will um, take a bit of that on trust and come down and help us and get behind the lads or they'll turn around and say I've heard all this before mm. um, it's been like this for 10 years mm. let's wait and see what they do mm. and that's fine because we've got to prove ourselves mm. but um, to get that top tier open we need the Sunderland fans behind us and all we can do on that is our best mm. um, Yeah, and, uh, that, and that's where we are absolutely spot on um, and I think Stuart was you know, very correctly and humbly early on saying that we, we may need some football expertise around us not saying the fact we've worked in football clubs for a while but I think one area which probably we do understand better than the majority of owners of significant sized football clubs is the fan experience um, I think Stuart and I yeah. between us have done pretty much every job that can possibly be done in a football club including being on supporters trusts being in starting mm. fans groups writing for fan scenes <laughs> we've run the line we've served in the ticket office <laughs> I've run the line in a league game I have, <laughs> no la- ladies game oh sorry okay. Okay. <laughs> much better um, so w- we understand what it means to want to be involved in the football club you support and I think that there's a world of a difference between a club and a franchise and there's a natural instinct amongst the, the money men who get involved in big sport these days to want to try and lose the club bit. They still call it a club, but they really see it as a franchise, and the franchise has paying customers. This is not the way Stuart and I see it at all. We see it as a club, and everybody who wants to be involved in that club is a member of that club. When you buy your season ticket, you are a member of the club. When you come and support on match day, you're a member of the club. When you volunteer to do stuff at the academy, you're a member of the club. And that's how we want it to be. We want yeah. it to be all embracing. And I, I'll give you an example of this. Um, <laughs> I went onto the pitch today. Kevin Ball was there, and there was a there was a, a, a game going on for, for for raising money for charity. Um, so I've, I've gone down onto the pitch, and I'm talking to Kevin Ball about um, sort of my vision, and he gets onto the pink seats. Right back to your first question. So here we go. <laughs> um, and um, he, he said, "You know, what, what, what do you think? It's awful." And I said, "Yeah, it's awful." I said, but if I had my way, what I would do is I would invite the fans down um, and hope 500,000 of them turn up, whatever it is, and we'll all change the seats together. And we'll put on bacon rolls and we'll give them beer uh, or or, or soft drinks or whatever it is they want. And we'll have an afternoon or a whole day or whatever it is. And we'll have a barbecue and we go on the pitch and we'll all change the seats together. And we'll get the players to do it and we'll get the staff to do it and we'll get the fans to do it. And we're all together. But of course, I said, you know what the problem will be? It'll be health and safety, and you know, yeah. you can't bend over and change a seat like this. But that's how I see the club. Yeah. If we could do something like that, we all change the seats together. Mm. I'll, 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 I'll front up the cost or whatever. But you know, the fans can provide the labour. We'll provide the refreshments, um, and we all have a day or two or a weekend where we all do the ground together. Um, and if we've got to sign people in and sign people out, then if that's how it's got to be, that's how it's got to be. But that's the type of football club I want and that's the type of thing we're on about yeah. not um, not not allowing the fans into the, you, you know you, you saw today that there are fans going on the pitch and you can see they that, that's all they want so why can't the fans go on the pitch it's their pitch mm. um, obviously not on a match day I'll yeah. just get that but, <laughs> but um, that that's the type of thing we need to do to connect with the fan base and I think the fans want to come in the ground and say I changed that seat mm. um, or I changed that seat for you where were you that, that's what they want and, and that's how it should be and that's how we want it to be so at Eastleigh I remember I spoke to Ian Wilding who was the Eastleigh oh, yes. yeah, yeah. he was saying that you travelled with the away fans and you offered free away travel obviously I know yep. Sunderland's away supports considerably yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> might be able to do it at um, Accrington or Wimbledon they're, they're quite small away followings but yeah, yeah. yeah um, that, that, that might cost me a bit too. Uh, I don't are, think I've budgeted for that yeah. are they the yeah. sort of incentives though that you're looking for because Sunderland's away yeah. support is it is huge and I'm not expecting yeah. you to be like free support for everyone yeah. like, that's ridiculous but I suppose in some ways you've got a. That's something that we never had with Ella Short for big cup games. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what what I tended to do was when 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 we did all right in the cup and we didn't budget for the cup runs and we haven't budgeted for that for Sunderland. So if if we get a game on the telly that's not budgeted for or this and, and it's not in, then let the fans have it. So if we get I don't know what it will be fifty thousand from a from an away game on this, why can't we make it cheaper for the fans for 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 that experience? We weren't expecting the money. 
Um, and all right, some of it will go to, to rebuilding the teams if, if, if we do really well, I'm sure. But um, why can't the football club, um, if they generate revenue that wasn't expected, make it cheaper or easier for the fans to support the team? So, yeah, I'm sure we'll do that sort of thing. And a lot of things have been made about me going, um, you know, with, with the fans to games. So I'll ju- just explain that as well. Mm. Um, that's, that's not gimmicky. I've done that for the entire time. Um, you know, uh, and the reason I do that is I know there's a protocol in football. I know the directors mingle, and I will do that aspect of it. But I'm a football person, so I'll get 46 days a year to enjoy the the game, and I'd like to do it with my fans or with our fans because um, they're there every week. They are our clients. They are our our customers, um, and. You know, I don't want to sit there through the game listening to every little thing that's wrong with the club, but I want to be where the passion for the club is. Um, and I'm sure that's in the boardroom in varying degrees, but I enjoy that. So I won't be able to do it every week, but that's, you know, I'm a football person. Mm. So I grew up going to football with my dad and then my mates, and I stood in the terrace behind the goal. Mm. And that's what I like about football. So just because I pay for it um, and, and run it, I want to keep that experience, mm. um, and you know, um, I, I just want to be in the. And I'm sure I'll be a little bit covered up at away games or whatever to to, <laughs> to, to, to try not to get all the criticism that I'm sure will be coming my way. But that's why I'll do that. Um, I'm much more into the fan experience, mm. um, and I get to see, you know, what what they experience. I know yeah. what it is. That that that's that's my Saturday afternoon. So um, it might not be quite the done thing. But um, and the fans pay a lot of money to go to these games. But I'm paying quite a lot to go to a Saturday afternoon game, so I'd like to enjoy it the way I'd like to. Yeah. Um, and the home games are, I'm sure I'll do. You know um, what the correct protocol is. But some of the away games, I just like to go with my boys or my, or my friends and just enjoy the game like everyone else. In regards to yourself, obviously this is a this is obviously a big move for you. And yes. you know it, it's probably a huge risk. I probably, I probably wouldn't be sleeping if I was you with Dave out on the line. <laughs> but do you see yourself as a long-term owner here? Like, is this going to be your club for the next? Do you? I hope so. Yes. Five, ten, fifteen yes, years. I hope so. Yes. Um, it's not a huge fine. I, I know a lot's been made that I've got eight million pounds. I mean, ju- just so people know, um, I had to show the the league fifty million pounds to to say that I could cover Sunderland. Um, so uh, I, I've managed to. F- find that in my piggy bank under the bed somewhere <laughs> so uh, um, I'm, I'm not as a destitute as some would make out but um, it it's it's not a big financial gamble it's a big footballing gamble mm. um, I've put myself on the line to mm. say I can do something here that other people have been unable to do mm. it's a challenge it's a bit frightening it's scary it's hard work um, no doubt about that it's gonna be exciting it's gonna be a challenge it's not going to change my life forever if I get it wrong. Um, in the sense of financially, I'll still be able to do the things that I do. It will change my life from being a failure in football. And that's not something that I want. And I've put uh, myself on the line to be shot at. And I accept that. So I've got to back my judgment. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't worry me or scare me. It's got to inspire me. Do you... With a football club, often it can be almost you take business sense out of it because it feels a bit more personal because you it's it's something we all love and enjoy do you do you worry that you know you might make the wrong decisions because because i'll get emotionally attached yeah it, no. no um i don't think so because the the I, I might i might um make a few emotional decisions around the seats or, or whatever it will be um and and, and you know if i see people being happy with things that, that might that might encourage me to spend a little bit more money but 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 fundamentally i'm not going to spend money that um either i haven't got or that's going to hurt me so uh, and i'm not going to um put the club at risk by whacking great big um you know 100 million pound um debts from a bank the football club has got itself to a position through this deal where it's square again um, the running costs are more than the income. I've agreed to cover that, and I've agreed to cover that for a period. And I need to back my judgment that I can make that period as small as possible, whilst also bringing success to the football club and getting them up. Um, and if I can do that right, then I'll judge it as I go. 
where when it comes to the international consortium we touched on this earlier there are lots of people that have expressed an interest to come and join me in this this mm. venture but they have to come for the right reasons and they have to come to add value now i can look after this football club in the championship and potentially beyond depending on how well the money's spent and what how we do it but there are one or two people i think could add real value if we become really successful mm. and that's where the international consortium comes from mm. and they're not in straight away because of the time period we've kept this very lean and very quick to get through so we can have the whole pre-season so putting some foreign investors in that have to be che- i mean you know I, I, i'm whiter than white my, my money's all come from regulated insurance businesses you can't get more mm-hmm. whiter than that and and um you know I, i've managed to you know get to a stage where i've gone through this process pretty quickly if i'd have added other people into it at this stage we could have been two or three weeks delayed and we can't afford that but there are people in the wings if we judge it's right that can come in and help us but only for a minority Um, because it has to be done the way we think it should be done so you'd say the minority what actually is the percentages of the club now you're 94% am I yeah yeah and you're six and you're six yeah (laughs) yeah so that feels it feels more 50 50 (laughs) (laughs) so is that something that you know you say a minority share how what's the least that you would want of the club like what what's the the most you would get rid of 20 percent, probably yes you still always want to be the the at this stage absolutely and and and, um i think that's that's something that's going to stay for a while until i can achieve what i've set out to achieve and if at that stage we'll see how it's gone and and if i think i can still do that i'll keep doing it if i think i need help then I'll, I'll ask to get some. Fortunately, um, in business, um, I'm relatively well connected so that these, these people would want to come and join potentially. Or if the right thing to do is, is to let it go, then, then I would let it go in the right way. But uh, that's, that's, that's not even in my mind. Yeah. My mind is just to get this right. Okay, I think we'll close off with a few final questions, a yep. few that have, um, a few just fan questions. So I was asked yep. today by David Shaw what you're going to do with the women's team. So that's been sort of. I think they've got rid of them, haven't they? They've stopped finding. Yeah, as I understand it, yeah. I mean, we, we haven't analysed that yet. Yeah. Um, but um, or, or the only thing I know about that is that the the lady that runs the finances told me it costs six hundred thousand pounds a year, and we need to have a conversation about that. And I said, okay, just let me get in, yeah. and um, we'll, we'll put it on the list. And that's where it is. It's on the list. And Craig Robertson said, "Can we get some better tasting lagers?" This must be oh, the primary subject. Concept. Subject dear to my heart. Right. <laughs> I don't know about Stuart. <laughs> well, there's, there's, there's um, again, we're going through the contracts, and I think there's, there's a contract for another couple of years with, with cause. Um, so I need to look into the detail of that, that deal. But um, uh, uh, I'm not sure this is the right thing for Chem to say. But we do like our lagers. So we, will, <laughs> we, will, we will, we will, we will. As it happens, I quite like cause, but I'm engaged with someone from Colorado, so um, I have to say that. <laughs> is the have you been round the concourses at the club? Have you been yes. into the area? Yes. yes. Do you think that they need a lick of paint? I think, I, I think the stadium as a whole, um, it's not controversial to say that the stadium as a whole is a bit tired. Yeah. The infrastructure's great and it was built so well and done so well that there's no problem with it. It's absolutely fine. Um, could it do as Stuart was saying with a lick of paint here or there? But this is where we should involve the fans. Absolutely. Let's all do it together. You know, and again, smaller scale on Eastleigh, but you know, when the, when the stands needed building, or somebody had to go through a digger with a turnstile, that, that that you know that that was me, and and I'll happily get up there with the fans, and we can have a chat about the the, the, the club and and do it. So um, yeah, I agree with Charlie. It's tired, but it would be nice if we all did it together. Yeah, um, and I it think would, it, it would be more cost effective to do it together. This and is it a, would be fun. It's such an important point because it's interesting when Stuart said. Um, let's all do it together let's all do this we like to get people to do it together because that's been our experience at the, at the football clubs we've worked we, we've worked at and actually you came back quite quickly and said well can you just pay for away travel now that's that's <laughs> fine and that's great but that's the chairman just dolloping cash down on the club yeah. again now it is justifiable from time to time that's a good idea but it's much more powerful and I know this might sound unpalatable to some <laughs> fans who might want Ellis Short to come back and just start dumping cash no, on the club don't want Ellis Short or, to come back. or whoever the next <laughs> Ellis Short is it's actually much more satisfying when you can look at your club and say it's my club Yeah, it's not Ellis's club or Stuart's club or Charlie's club 
it's my club and I am involved as much as I can be with my club and you know what see those seats up there that are gleaming red now I did those 10 up there you see that concourse down there which has been decorated with really cool graffiti which is sort of graffiti art from Sunderland's history that was me and my mates who did that and then you start to feel like a club again um, and we can enable that but we can't we can't you know force the horse to drink water we can only take it to it we need Sunderland fans to come back to us and say we want to take back control of our club and thank you for letting us do it and let's all do it together we can't force people to do it so there's gonna be a lot of opportunity for that kind of stuff and the stadium's one obvious part because we all want to be proud of the stadium and there are things that could be done with it just to make it just a little bit more, feel a bit more like home I, mean, I don't know what people's views on this is I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that the stands don't have names yeah, I mean, when you get when you get to southeast, west, north, I mean, it's sort of you know well that doesn't lend any particular identity. Um, I'm obviously the pink seats are an issue. There is just some bits of tattiness around the place which have been allowed to grow up. The roof's th- horrible. If th- you go actually go in the top tier, the roof is the most disgusting. You feel like dust is just going to fall on you. Oh, we'll keep it shut then. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> the press is up there, to be fair, still. The press is up there. Yeah, yeah, just oh, like well, that. Oh, press okay. in the away fans. No, yeah, no, no yeah. We'll, leave it, we'll leave it. We'll leave oh, the we'll, dust we'll, then. We'll, no, we'll, we'll, we'll get the dust away apart from the away fans then. Yeah. Are you going to leave the away fans up there? Is that long term? No, no, I was, I was talking again. I, you know, Again, I've gone into the Black Cat house today and, and, and tried to get around people and, and, and understand everything. And, and a lot of people said they were much better yeah. at the lower level. Um and what would be great would to be leave them up there because we fill the lower level but mm. you know that's probably not going to be realistic at this stage but that would be fantastic and if we can't they did say it was much better um, with them down there so uh, again at this stage I can't give the answer and I'm not giving you enough answers I know but I can't rule it in or out yeah. I've, got, I've got to have a look at the logistics of it I mean for this season obviously season, t- season tickets have been sold all over the place so there's nothing you can do about it but it's, it's thinking more like beyond to, to next season how, how many season tickets do you expect to sell or oh, more um, I, I think we've done about 16,500 so that's um, pretty impressive yeah um, but but I just hope that um, you know if people can see us deliver on, on what we're saying that they'll that they'll be some momentum and we could really get those going um, I think we're I asked again today um, and, I, and we are about 16,700 I think behind this time last season um, and um, that, that's understandable but um, you know again it's just understanding when you, when you look at some of the things that have been sent to me on Twitter and I'd love to be able to answer them all but I just can't um, but people said you know oh I haven't renewed because I couldn't get through or I haven't done this because I haven't done that or I haven't done you know we don't want that we want everyone to get behind the club and, and renew their season ticket and we've got to make it easy for people so you know we just need to understand whether that is you know a g- genuine issue um, and that actually if, if we raise our game we'll, we'll get some because we're not running particularly well and then also if um, if we can get some enthusiasm up um, you know we, we might pick up another one or two thousand season tickets so I'm hoping we can get close to 20,000 but um, you know that, that, that won't be easy and that relies on, on the fans you know showing faith in us uh, Gav is there anything else you think needs asked or we'll go with the final question one final question oh, here we from Dazman06. I don't know where we'll get these Twitter handles from. But <laughs> he says, can you appear on the Roger Report podcast every month? I would say definitely yes. Definitely. That, that shouldn't be a problem. And I think potentially in the short term, what's going to happen is lots of things will happen at the club which will naturally raise questions. Mm. So we will try and be as available as we can to give you the answers. Mm. You might not like them, but the thing with it is, you know, pe- people have said to me, you know, you're worried today about doing this. I'm not worried about any of it because I just say it how it is. And because it's straight, mm. I don't have to worry about what's been said because that's how it is. And then I just have to hope that um, the fans understand my view. Superb. Well, uh, I did actually buy Stuart a present. You did? Thank you very yeah, much. Do you want to tell everyone what it is? Uh, well, it's something that will ensure um, I'm not particularly sober um, at most of the games. <laughs> <laughs> I bought him a hip flask. A hip flask, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just so that when we're getting yeah. beat at home at Gritton Stanley yeah. on the opening day, you can have a swig of that, even though I hope it doesn't happen. Well, no. I don't know about the, the opening <laughs> yeah. day, but when it comes yeah. to a Tuesday, Tuesday in November at Accrington, you yeah. might need that. Yeah. So, yeah, there's your hip flask. I will just say it was an empty hip flask. But it was, you know, currently. You can't have everything. <laughs> currently. Okay, well, thanks so much for coming on. No, pleasure. Cheers, pleasure. guys. Yeah, and we'll, we'll do it again soon. Yes, thanks. Yeah. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.